Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Now that doctors and patients have discovered the many benefits of hemp-derived CBD, Alpine Miracle's Nano Emulsion CBD formula is one of the most bioavailable on the market today. It's 100% THC-free, so you can order it online anywhere in the U.S. Order yours today at alpinemiracle.com. Scientists are just beginning to understand its essential role in maintaining optimal health. Get yours today. Use the code REPORTER and receive 10% off. Don't wait. Get it now at alpinemiracle.com. And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the cannabis reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for joining me today. It's hard to imagine being a parent who learns that her beautiful baby girl has a rare form of cancer that will require multiple rounds of chemotherapy with no guarantee that'll help. It's even harder to imagine what it must feel like to learn there's a cure only to find out it's out of reach. Sadly, this is not a hypothetical scenario. It's a reality for too many parents around the nation and not just in prohibition states. Sophie Ryan was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor. The progression would be slow, but the form of cancer was difficult to treat, requiring lots of chemotherapy followed by blood transfusions to clear her tiny body of toxins. Within months of introducing cannabis as a supplemental therapy, Sophie's tumor subsided, much to the astonishment of her doctors at UCLA Medical Center. Now five years old, Sophie is among the lucky children who live in states where cannabis is already legal for medical use. Her doctors have been supportive of her parents' choice to introduce cannabis as an alternative therapy, and her story has garnered the attention of a team of renowned scientists who are now studying the efficacy of cannabis for treating her rare form of cancer in a clinical setting at Technion Institute in Israel. Witnessing the medical miracle unfolding in front of them, her parents have devoted the last several years to research and development of extracts to treat Sophie and other children with the same condition. Under California's medical marijuana program, they've been able to scale up over time with several new formulations that are now being used to treat other children and adults with complex medical conditions that were thought to have had no cure. They've also raised funds to deliver cannabinoid medicines to other families with children that need them for free. Ironically, they began to face a lot of unanticipated hardships after California's new adult use legalization took effect, mostly stemming from the new marijuana tax policy and other state mandates that are making it financially impossible for them to continue producing the number of formulas they've developed for a wide variety of hard-to-treat medical conditions. These new restrictions and taxes are also making it more and more difficult for families to be able to afford the medicine for their children, and the Ryans can no longer give free medicine to families who can't afford it without violating a new law under the new adult use regulation. That's the topic of this episode, and Sophie's mother, Tracy Ryan, is here to explain what's happening to their efforts in the Golden State. She's the CEO of Canna Kids and founder of the 501c3 nonprofit Saving Sophie. Tracy has worked on a global scale with families and hospitals around the world. At the Technion Institute, she's been sharing her meticulously tracked patient data in order to help further assist their research. Tracy's on the advisory board of Cure Pharmaceuticals, and she's also serving on the University of California at Irvine's task force to design the first ever cannabis multidisciplinary college. 
Tracy and Kennekids have also been the recipient of several industry awards and featured in national and international news pieces, including appearances on The Doctors, National Geographic, Vice News, CNN, Entertainment Tonight, The Huffington Post, Telemundo, and more. They are also the key focus of the Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein documentary, Weed the People. Tracy, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was a wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. (laughs) Well, you're welcome. (laughs) I'm really excited to hear how Sophie is doing. And I know that at the age of, what, 18 months, she was diagnosed with an optical glioma brain tumor. It was actually eight and a half months. She was just a newborn baby. Yeah. Eight and a half months with an optic pathway glioma. It's a low-grade tumor. It, the good news is if you're going to get a brain tumor, this is the one you want. It's a, traditionally about a 90% survival rate. The problem with these is it's an 85% recurrence rate. So that, that's the big challenge. Oh, wow. So today, it's been now five years, it looks like. And uh, is the tumor gone or is it just diminished? How is she doing? No. <laughs> well, first of all, she's doing amazing. You would meet my child and you would not... You'd never have any idea that this kid has literally been through anything. But with these tumors, like I said, they've got a, a really high recurrence rate and they never actually go away. What's, what's different about these types of brain tumors and a more aggressive brain tumor is that they're very slow growing. And what happens is when you're taking chemotherapy, the cells actually need to be dividing when the medicine enters your body. And then the chemo is able to go go in there and gobble up those cancer cells because it sees it as activity. It sees it as dividing cells. And that's what chemo targets, dividing cells. That's also why it makes your stomach so upset and makes you vomit so uh, horrifically is because they're constantly cells also dividing in your stomach as well as with your hair. Your hair is always growing. So that's why you also lose your hair. So that's the concept behind it. So when you have a tumor that's growing very slowly, if those cells aren't dividing is when the chemo enters the patient's body, then it just, the hopes is is it just stabilize it. So with Sophie's tumor, we've seen a lot of ups and downs. We've shrank it by almost 95%. Then it grew back because the the original treating team had no idea how to treat a a child whose tumor was shrinking. That's not normally something you see with these. So they just took her off chemo, despite the fact that her tumor was still responding to it, because that's what the textbooks told them to do. So about six months later, the whole thing erupted and grew right back in a matter of an eight-week span when we were waiting for the next scan. Then we changed therapies and we changed our cannabis oil regimen and we started going after it again. So we shrank it again and then it grew. And it's been this kind of roller coaster that we've been going on now for the last five years. But the goal with these tumors is to really look at them as, a, as an ongoing issue. You, you, try to, you try to eliminate the word cancer for your mind, despite the fact your kid is having chemo pumped into them and surgeries and everything else. You, you've just got to really kind of wrap your head around the fact that this is going to be a constant condition that you're going to have to treat um, until the child leaves puberty. Once they leave puberty, these tumors normally stabilize and they stop growing. And the goal is to really protect them from damage from the tumor, seizures, blindness, onset puberty, hydrocephalus, which is water around the brain. There's a myriad of things that these things can offset. And the goal is just to really keep the patient healthy, despite how big the tumor is. Because if the tumor's massive, it doesn't matter if the tumor's not bother- bothering the patient. If the tumors can be very small and can be a certain area of the brain, it can cause worse harm than a large tumor. So with Sophie, we have been able to keep her extraordinarily healthy, despite the fact that she was supposed to lose full vision when she was a baby. They said there was no chance of retaining vision. Best case scenario, she'd have movement in her right eye with no clarity. We were able to save much of her vision. She does have some visual deficiencies now, but those have only happened in the last year. But you wouldn't know it, again, by seeing her. She you know, plays on a playground by herself and um, it runs and is just as ornery as any other little five-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> so we've done a good job at keeping, keeping the weight packed on. She's, she's five-and-a-half years old. She's in a seven-and-eight-year-old clothing. She's one of the tallest kids in her class. She's full of energy. I mean, the kid just keeps us on our toes. And she's doing amazing. And that's, that's where she is today. You've really taught me some interesting facts. I wasn't expecting to hear about the divided cells. And that's something I didn't know about chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm really, really happy to hear that she's doing so well. And I'm sure your doctors must have been completely astonished. Tell me what happened when you first made the decision to go ahead and, and try a cannabis protocol. Well, it was a chain of events on social media that originally occurred, and I was put in touch with Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein. Ricky Lake from talk shows and film, and Abby Epstein, who's her producing partner. These women had, had uh, produced the movie The Business of Being Born, which really helped to change the birthing movement in the United States. I even tried for natural birth with Sophie because of this film. And when they reached out to me and told me about their next film that they were doing about using cannabis oil therapy in pediatrics, so when Ricky and Abby brought us this medicine, we knew that these women were completely in love with the fight for women and children, that they had immersed themselves in trying to help the birthing movement. I knew that I could trust them with this. I knew they had done their due diligence. So they sent me videos and they sent me scientific research because I, I myself needed to understand and vet this as well. But I opened my eyes to it, whereas before... I was very, very close-minded to the use of cannabis oil for my child. We'd been contacted by people overseas. I thought it was ridiculous. It was the only thing, literally the only thing my husband and I didn't research, but Ricky and Abby inspired us to do so. And when we did, we could not believe what we were finding. First of all, we couldn't find anything negative about it. Second of all, there was so much research that had already been done. It was astonishing. And I couldn't understand why. There, there wasn't more information about using cannabis oil for these types of diseases. There had been animal model studies where there had, there had been major shrinkage in tumors and glioma cells specifically using cannabis. So we went to our doctors. We let them know uh, what we wanted to try. We didn't want to hide anything from them. And, and this was five years ago, again, with an eight and a half month old. She was nine months old at this time. And we let them know that this is something we wanted to try. Of course, we dropped the name Ricky Lake, which I'm sure did not hurt our cause because they were like, oh, Ricky Lake. Well, if she's saying it's okay, it must be. So, which is, you know, kind of the idea that we get around celebrities sometimes. And uh, they gave us their full permission. They're like, listen, you know, we think you, you seem like educated and well-meaning and loving parents. We wouldn't expect you to do anything to harm your child. We can support this. So off we went. And it was interesting because literally the next couple of times I went back to uh, her oncology floor to get her next infusion, they would come out all excited and would be like, Miss Ryan, Miss Ryan, look at the, look at the papers I found. Look at what the, this is you know, doing to glioma cells. I was like, I know, that's why we're doing this. So they got pretty excited about it. And when they started seeing this tumor shrink, they were floored. They had told me originally that if we could get it to 50% shrinkage, there was no way they really would be able in their minds as doctors to take credit for um, the chemo alone. Because even though they hadn't treated that many children, they didn't know of that much success in getting these to shrink that much. Doesn't mean that it's impossible, but it would be highly unlikely, especially since my daughter didn't have a mutation called NF1 or neurofibromatosis 1. With kids who have NF1 that have these diseases, sometimes these tumors can shrink on their own. But despite the fact that my kid's tumor kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, she also ended up suffering from nine blood, nine blood transfusions. Um, her first, I'd, I'd say she started chemo probably a few months in, she started needing blood tra transfusions. And then up until the nine month mark, um, she needed them continually, like almost every cycle. And then she just stopped needing them. She just didn't need a blood transfusion anymore. Her bone marrow had literally repaired itself. And we didn't know that this was what was happening in her body. We just thought, oh, well, maybe she's getting stronger, getting better. And it wasn't until the doctors came and told us that this was medically impossible and they would like to attribute it to the cannabis use unless there was anything else that we were using at home, which we weren't. Our, our minds were blown. We were so ecstatic because we were thinking to ourselves, okay, this, you know, not only is it shrinking this tumor, but it's protecting her good cells. It's combating the attack of the chemo on very, very important parts of her body that keep her alive. So we continued on. Uh, we ended up transferring care to Children's Hospital Los Angeles and the miracles since have not stopped. I've literally just requested all of my daughter's medical records because every hospital stay she has, she is a miraculously recovering patient and they can't explain uh, how she's getting better so quickly. She's literally been diagnosed with pneumonia twice via x-rays 
only for the next morning, she's having dance parties in her room and let go by that afternoon with a quote unquote misdiagnosis. So this has been the pattern that we've seen in my child. And now because of these patterns and because of a recent brain tumor surgery, she needed in order to debulk the tissue that was in her brain, but also to study a new part of her tumor that has been a little bit more resistant to treatment. It's still very slow growing, but the treatments haven't been shrinking it or targeting it as much or stabilizing it as long as we had hoped. We wanted to get a sample, or her doctors, I should say, wanted to get a sample of this, this tumor to make sure that there wasn't something we were missing. Because of the tissue I was able to procure uh, from the extra tissue they had left over, I was then able to get that over to UCLA to Dr. Anatis Jewett, who is a world-renowned cancer researcher. Who's ex she's the foremost leading expert in NK cells or natural killer cells, which is part of our immune system that targets these cancer cells and eradicates them. She took Sophie's tissue and she implanted it into animal models and not just any kind of animal. One of the mice that she has actually pumps human blood. These are the only kind of mice in the world like it. It is again, one of Dr. Jewett's patented technology. It's essentially bone marrow transplant and um, they use human platelets to recover uh, the mouse and the mouse began, then begins pumping human blood, which makes the clinical trials that are done on these animal models much more closely related to what you would, the, the results you would see in a live human. So they have very special mice that Sophie's tissue is, is being grown in. The mice are doing great. They're scurrying about. Um, they're happy. They're being fed well. Uh, and, and we have also, the team has also replicated her cells millions of times and that she, they're growing them, growing them and growing them. And they have millions and millions of new cells of Sophie's living tissue that we can continue to do further research on. And because of this research, we do think that we are going to be able to prove out some really fascinating and exciting discoveries that we have some preliminary results on. And we are going to do everything. Well, I, I shouldn't say we, because I'm not a scientist, but the team is going to do everything they can in their power to find a cure for my child. And by default, if we're successful with that, there are many, many, many other children who get absolutely no research that will benefit from this. We also plan on getting a DEA license for UCLA so that we can then study cannabis in this same lab with all of these same beautifully minded individuals who care most about patients first. And it is our goal to team up and raise money for preclinical trials and through those preclinical trials, get some hard evidence and, and some proof of concepts as to not only why we are seeing these patients, their immune systems be so incredibly powerful and strong, but why are some of these patients that we're working with, why is their disease completely going away when they have no chance of survival? Why are they so healthy as soon as they start the oil and their vomiting stops and their fevers go away and they're able to take their Western medicine chemo doses? Why is this happening? And these are some of the, the answers we feel confident we're going to be able to answer. I have to say that is absolutely, it, it, first of all, I think it's fantastic that you've got such an esteemed institution such as UCLA actually working on this, but mm -hmm. really it's so promising for families who are being told that their child has only, you know, X number of months left in their young lives you know, to, to look to what's happened with Sophie and see hope. I mean, absolutely. Well, and that's our goal. You know, our, our tagline is where there is breath, there is hope. And we believe that. And between our team at UC, UCLA and our team at the Technion Institute, which is comprised of 41 brilliant researchers that are looking at pediatric and adult cancers, we're very, very excited about what the combination efforts of these two teams could reveal. One of the things that we've been doing, I, I keep saying we because I feel like I'm part of this team. I love them so much. One, one of the things the, the UCLA team has been doing has been cryogenically freezing Sophie's cells and then working to revive them so that we can take those cells and we can send them overseas to Israel where my team there will hopefully uh, unthaw these tissues and have live cells in Israel of Sophie's 
that they can use for further research uh, where they're already using cannabinoid targeted therapies, not just looking at like you know, what is the disease, but what are the different mutations driving that disease. So we'll have a, a multitude of different cancer patients and we can get two patients in that are you know, completely different. They're not related. They have the same cancer diagnosis, but our oil will work amazing for one patient and not so great for the other one. It'll work good, but not as great. We've got a little boy named AJ that had 90 days to live. And he, he was on all kinds of, he was like on Oxycontin and Norco and he was vomiting and fever and uh, relapsed osteosarcoma like six times. He had 22 tumors in his bones and lungs. And this young man was off of his opioids in less than a week. His fevers and vomiting went away. He was only on gemcitabine chemotherapy, which was for end of life pain. And like I said, he had 90 days to live and that was it. And in that time, in that 90 day span, the oils that he was getting from us and that he was taking completely eradicated his disease alongside the combo therapy of gemcitabine and cannabis oil to the extent that his, his, his oncologist not only started sending more of her patients to Dr. Bonnie Goldstein and myself for treatment, but this woman now works with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, Dr. Storch, working with children as a pediatric oncologist to help guide them to wellness using cannabis oil therapy. Now, we want to be able to look at AJ, uh, which is one of the children. Well, he's actually an adult now. He's 19. He's one of the gentlemen that we're going to be sending in to our UCLA team to have his, his blood looked at because we want to understand what's happening in AJ. Why is it this young man who has osteosarcoma got rid of all of his cancer in 90 days and has not recurred once in the last almost three years now, I believe it is, when he relapsed six times in three years and they could never get him to a point of no evidence of disease. What is happening inside of his body that's keeping him so healthy? And what is it that's been turned on that is now targeting these cells and keeping the cancer at bay? Because we all have cancer in our bodies, but something's happening in our bodies that all of a sudden our immune system isn't able to see those cancer cells anymore and they start growing. Well, AJ's immune system is doing something that's keeping this cancer away. So we want to understand AJ so that when we get any kind of osteosarcoma patient in here, we can, we can fully understand what we need to be looking at as far as the mutations they have in their cancer, but also what protocol can we provide them so they're getting the same results. And we want to be able to try and replicate that time after time. That's why we're looking at patients on a genetic level. We're not doing a blanket protocol, one size fits all, like we see in Western medicine today. And we have the technology to do that. The world has the technology to do that, to look at these patients on an individualized basis and not a one size fits all. And once you start looking at patients on a genetic level and you can do more targeted therapies, then they don't need as much medicine. They're more successful and you're not killing their organs and their body and their immune system in the process. We, we need to follow the do no harm. And by doing no harm, that means looking at these people once and for all as individuals. And that's exactly what we're doing. I had a really interesting interview last year with Dr. Raul Kushwa, who is doing genetic testing to determine stages of conditions and ways in which cannabis can help. And I found that absolutely to be a, a fascinating study. And it's interesting that they're doing this with AJ. And I wonder, is this also being done at UCLA or is this part of the Technion? So for the, cannabis, for the cannabis studies, that's all happening at Technion. What we're going to be doing with AJ is doing a blood draw and then looking at what's going on inside of his, inside of his blood. What's his immune system doing? What, what kind of responses are we seeing? What is the can, how is the cannabis affecting him? You know, do we see anything that's not working properly or that is, is working properly? So right now we're just looking at AJ as a human being and trying to like put his puzzle pieces together to figure him out, just like we've been doing with Sophie over the last few weeks. Once we have an understanding of what's happening inside of his body, then we can kind of work backwards and say, okay, you know, why is this happening? What is it about the cannabis that's triggering these effects? And then move the research, you know, from a plate trial, machine trial into animal models 
and then also eventually into humans. We can't work with cannabis yet at UCLA because they don't have a Schedule One DEA license. In Israel, you don't need that because it's federally legal to study cannabis. So we're going to have to go through a lengthy application process in order to get that license approved. And in the interim, we're going to continue moving forward, just looking at the patients and what's going on on a physical level. But why is this cancer occurring in their bodies, which is, is what this lab is so proficient in doing. As we figure that out, if we're not able to um, you know, start the cannabis trials as quickly as we want, then there may be partnership opportunities with our team in Israel where we can potentially um, cryogenically freeze certain things, maybe um, cells or blood. I, I have no idea because like I said, I'm not a researcher, but do um, a study in partnership with them. We're still figuring a lot of that part out. We really hope to be able to get a license quickly for UCLA so that we can move swiftly into the animal model studies and again, get this to the patients more quickly. That must be endlessly frustrating when you're talking about having to get a DEA license to, uh, because of the Schedule 1, to study something that just seems like a no-brainer for the U.S. government. What is that process like, and how far along are you? Well, I have one partnership that I don't want to disclose currently because we don't want to jinx anything, <laughs> but we have been told that with this partner that I'm working with, that they're approved for a Schedule One DEA license for manufacturing and research. They've passed all their inspections and DC has signed off on it. Now we're just in the queue to actually receive the license. That will only cover us in their facility though, but it will let us start manufacturing DEA quality cannabis, which we hope to source starting material from and our partners overseas because what the government pro provides you here, I wouldn't give to um, a rat on the street, honestly, it's, it's total garbage and does not represent what patients are consuming in the medical market around the U.S. It almost, it's, uh, it's almost as if they're setting scientists up for failure, to be honest with you, because they don't want this to be something that, that ends up replacing a lot of the expensive pharmaceuticals. I've never seen cannabis so poorly grown and so gross and so void of the important cannabinoids and terpenoids and flavonoids that the, the, the plant requires in, for it to, in order for it to be medicinal. I don't know how they're able to grow stuff as bad as this. I mean, you've got to really try hard to grow that much cannabis that yeah. poorly. I heard the same thing from a researcher who's doing the PTSD study here in Arizona. And, you know, having... Sue? Uh, yes, yes yeah. she's, she's a friend of mine. She's great. She's amazing. And she's so wonderful. She's having, she's having the same challenges with, oh, I know. you know, coming up with basically when you're getting the medicine from that's grown by the U S government, they're not checking it for pathogens like mold or fungus. And uh, you know, that's, you're right. And they're not growing specific strains. I mean, it's, it's almost as if they just picked up some, you know, willy-nilly cannabis seeds and planted them. And there's, there's absolutely no care going into what they're growing for these studies. And you're right. I was wondering yeah. the same thing myself, you know, it, are they setting it up for failure because you yeah. know, patients are going to wind up getting contaminated with, with these other pathogens that are inside the medicine that they're being given in these trials. It really is just such a shame. Well, yeah. And there are literally, publications out there of, of scientific research that's been done where it notates that they believe the reason for failure in their trial is poor quality starting material. And the government keeps saying, you got to do more research. You got to do more research, but they won't let us do research because it's a schedule one and what they, and, and who is able to squeak by and get a license, what they provide you to do the research with is setting you up for failure. I mean, all this money is being spent on these preclinical trials to get you to clinical and it's money being thrown out the window. I've had a few people now ask me if I wanted to come in and, and consult or uh, bring in my expertise in any way on preclinical trials that they were doing. And my first question is where you're getting, where are you getting your cannabis from? And if they say NIDA, I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want my name anywhere near a trial that's being done with university of Mississippi cannabis. And it's disheartening. It's really, really, really disheartening. Because if you look back at the history of this plant, which the Ricky Lake documentary, Weed the People Does, 
which we're in and is now out um, at film festivals and, and we'll, we'll be doing theatricals later, later this year. But it, it, this film really explains the history and how far back medical cannabis has been used. I mean, it, it dates back to um, before Jesus's time. And they're literally, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's a theologian the other day and he's got his PhD in religion. He was part of the seminary for a few years and was a priest. And he was telling me that you know, he's really started to dig into the history of this more to look at how cannabis has used, been used over the ages. We're, we're actually talking about um, doing a fireside chat at a big conference coming up that, that goes through the timeline in history. And there is documented evidence that in cave dweller time, before the written word, they'd found pots that had resin in them and they scraped the resin and it t ended up being cannabis. And this has been used in ceremonies. It's been used for medical purposes for hundreds of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands. And it's only not been a medicine since the 19, in the last 70 years, since the 1930s. You can look at apothecary books that date back to the 1800s where there are pages and pages and pages about hemp and CBD and THC and all of these things that patients were using to help them. And the American Medical Association actually told uh, Harry Anslinger when he was trying to push past his, push forward his agenda to um, put cannabis on Schedule One. American Medical Association said, please don't do this. There's a lot of things this plant treats currently, and we don't have replacements for it. But they moved it forward anyway because of the profits that they could make and they needed, you know, to become famous in their, in their efforts to push forth legislation. And it was all about power and money and greed. And that was yeah, all it was the, about. It, I think it's one of the largest miscarriages of justice in our history. And it really is quite a shame. But you're right. Um, in fact, I think in China, they, they found the bag of a medicine man uh, that dates back to 4000 BC that that actually yep. contained cannabis they were able to see what all the trace uh, compounds trace were compounds yeah. were and yeah it's been used for centuries and centuries and until you know until the 1937 tax stamp act uh, which was the first piece of legislation that that made it illegal to grow in the United States without mm -hmm. government permission but i mean yeah, and, and it's it, clearly for them to ignore all of the reports, the American Medical Association, there was another, um, there was another study that was done in, in 1970, which was commissioned by the government and it found that yes, indeed, there is medical use and, and the Nixon administration just completely chose to ignore it. Because I know. The people who were actually using cannabis were the ones who were protesting for peace. Yeah, yeah, yep. and yep. you know it was bad for his image. He he wanted to eliminate a section of the voter pool, and he so much as said it on his tapes. Yeah, been yeah corroborated by Ehrlichman and other people who were later interviewed about this whole thing. So. It, yeah. it is. So in your work through the nonprofit, are you also doing any lobbying at all to try to change it? I haven't been able to go to like Capitol Hill or to Sacramento because I've been so consumed with getting these clinical trials, these preclinical trials up and running for my daughter. It has been like taking on a whole nother career, all of the things that I had to do to secure her brain tumor cells and get permission from the hospital, which was, a whole, it's a whole nother interview on its own, but I got I them and they ended up being great. Oh man. And then finding the lab that can do the PDX, which stands for patient derived xenografts, which is the implantation and, and, and getting all that set up. And then, you know, legalization has just, California legalization has been horrific for us. It has been so hard on us. It's been hard on our brand. It's been hard on our patients. There's been nothing positive so far, to be honest with you, that has come out of legalization for us. If anything, it has just been one headache and one tear after another. Um, and because of this all-consuming, these all-consuming situations, it's, it's been all I could do to keep my head above water. Now, I do speak around the world and advocate in those ways. And I educate at conferences all over the United States and all over the globe for that matter. 
uh, I, I speak with a lot of congressmen on the phone who um, not only want me to educate them on what I'm doing and what's going on, but wants to know if they can bring me in for support. And I, of course, say absolutely yes all the time. I have met with mayors and senators and, and so forth. And, and I've, through those means and those relationships, continued to educate people even more. And just recently when we had our um, film festival premiere for Weed the People at the Nashville Film Festival, which is my home state, I went back and did a big presentation. It was about 45 minutes to the normal folks there and their group to help them understand what they need to do, what they need to say in order to push forth legalization for their state. And also just what's going on in California and what I'm doing. And I've never seen so many eyeballs pop out of their head and mouse at the floor because these states that haven't legalized are just so far behind. They don't truly understand what's happening on the research front and what kind of different indications this can relieve. So I'm doing my very, very best to advocate as much as I can to as many people as I can. But unfortunately, I just, I just don't have time to do as much of it. I've done a lot of local stuff, a lot of local work as well, but I'd like to do so much more. I really would. Yeah, well, let's say you are really are doing quite enough, I would imagine. And, <laughs> and well, in making presentations to normal, it just gives them additional talking points when they're out lobbying. And I know there are chapters in every state. So it, it, I'm sure that you're making an impact in terms of the lawmakers and people who need to hear this message just by mm -hmm. being out there and speaking on it. But you said something that I thought was pretty interesting that legalization has been more of a headache for you than you might have thought. Tell me why. Oh, it's awful. The taxation is insane. Uh, the amount of taxes that not only we're get char getting charged, but the patients are getting charged, in my opinion, is just robbery. I mean, you don't see these kinds of taxes on alcohol and tobacco, and those things can kill you. Cannabis can't even kill you. If anything, it makes you way stronger and way healthier. And I've seen the living proof of that. But we've got this exorbitant taxation that's happening, both at the manufacturing level, the cultivation and manufacturing and distribution level, and then also at the dispensary level where the patients are, are the ones now paying these high taxes. The, the licensing part of it all just in getting a, getting a license in California is so expensive. We are very, very lucky that we have a lot of people that love us a whole, whole lot. And we have been able to go up under legally one of my dear friend's license. Uh, it's called piggybacking. And my law firm has been gracious enough to give us very steep discounts because we would have been bankrupt just just by trying to go after a license I and mean, one license, just one. And we needed a few is like $40,000 legal fee just to get it started, I mean, just to get it started. And then the other fees that you have to pay for the license itself. So that's a whole nother component of it. And then you've got the lab testing, which is one of the most ridiculous parts of this whole thing that I still have yet to wrap my mind around. We have, we're one of, one of the few brands in California that has lab tested our medicine, double, sometimes triple lab tested our medicine since the day we opened our doors because we're providing this to children. We have a focus on kids. My daughter takes this medicine. I would never recommend a product to a parent for their loved one or a caregiver because we work with patients volume just we have many adults as well but i would never recommend a product to someone who's immunocompromised that i know is contaminated so we've always lab tested but our lab test per per batch has always been 136 dollars well now just for one product just to get it off the dock out of manufacturing and into the, the onto, onto the distributors trucks and to the dispensaries it's 800 to a thousand dollars per SKU and we have 21 SKUs and that's just the lab testing. So every time we run a batch of oil, it's a $21,000 lab testing bill where before it was, you know, a couple thousand dollars and that's it. So we're now having to cut our SKUs down from 21 SKUs down to, I think we're down to like 10 or 11. And even that is going to be very, very difficult. And then we've got the hurdles with the BBC themselves. We're, we're in a situation right now where our products passed in lab testing, three of our SKUs passed lab, lab testing. We test on the manufacturing level so that we can make sure once they get to the lab that they're going to pass so that our distributors can pick them up and immediately start distributing them. 
And we passed our lab testing, not only at our manufacturer level, because that's the first test we do, we do, but then also the state level testing. Well, now they have contacted our manufacturer and our distributor and said, you have to halt on these three products. They need to be retested, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. So now not only do we not know why they're doing this, but we may have to spend another $800 times three for issues that we don't even, we can't even figure out what they are. So it's just, it's a disaster to be honest with you. It's an absolute disaster. And a lot of brands are going out of business over it. And a lot of patients can't afford their medicine anymore. That is really a shame. And I, I had no idea that it was such a difference in taxation. Ugh, and awful. I'm really surprised that California didn't hang on to their medical program for people who are bona fide patients and apply the taxation only to the recreational user. Because I mean, uh, let's face it, they do tax alcohol, but not as much, obviously. They no. tax cigarettes. They tax other things that are considered a luxury or superfluous items uh, like that. But I really am surprised. And it's good to know, actually, because I'm going to look into that and see what the issue is. And I wonder if normal is fighting against this. I mean, everybody's yeah. fighting against it. There's, I've seen so many interviews of people out there that are just they're just so, a lot of people are very hopeless right now. I know that the, the California legalization is not, does not have the financial returns that the state was hoping for because it's, it's just such a clunky rollout and there's, it's so complex. I've never seen so many laws on top of laws, on top of laws, on top of laws. And it's just, it's a bottleneck after bottleneck. And, and just to get your products out into the market, it's, it's very difficult and time consuming and extraordinarily expensive. And we're a nonprofit. We're not a brand who has a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank. We give our money away to our patients. We're not a rich company. We've never been a rich company. We've never wanted to be a rich company. We, we, we want to you know, raise more money to get larger batches of oil so we can get more medicine to the patients. But the reason that I want to be rich is so that I can give so much money away. <laughs> we just really love helping people. And that's the honest truth. I get high off of it. I get high off of helping people not off of cashing checks and storing money in the bank. And, you know, we, we've been running a very successful business up until now, and we've been able to scale and grow. We've got 11 in-house employees and several other employees that work out of the office. And now we're having to fight to stay alive because we're not a multi-million dollar company that's, you know, doing $40,000 a shop a month in vape pens. We're not, that's just not who we are. So, yeah, I mean, and you know, the other challenge that we're having as well is, donations because the way the laws were originally written if you give away a free bottle of medicine it's considered tax evasion what yes they didn't even think about that they didn't think about it we brought it up um i'm at uc irvine i'm part of the um uh, i'm on a board there to help design the first interdisciplinary cannabis college in our first initiatives we hope to be clinical research we had Lori ajax in, and i really like Lori. i, I really do i think she's a very nice lady. She's always been super kind to me. And we were there and, you know, she was doing a talk for a bunch of us and we got to the Q and a portion of it and we were, you know, going slide by slide through the regulations. And, you know, we brought up the, the lady that was with me brought up, you know, what about donations to patients? You guys, the way the, the laws are written, if we give a bottle of medicine to one of our patients for free, we're actually committing a crime and it's considered tax evasion. And she was like, Oh, we didn't think of that. And in my opinion, the patients should be the ones that are thought about first. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, we're here not to get people stoned out of their minds. That's not what this plant is about. Even though people use it for that, it's not what it's about. The whole reason cannabis was even legalized in California, and we started on this mission in the first place, was for patients. But yet the patients are the last people being thought about in all of this. I mean, they're not getting, they don't have any kind of programs helping families right now that I'm aware of that unless there was something brand new that somebody hasn't told me about that's, that's giving them discounts if they qualify financially, which is something we've always done. We have a whole intake process for people who need financial support. And there's nothing like that on the state level. These patients are having to now go into dispensaries. We were able to courier before, um, which we're now not able to do anymore because that's five-year ban. If, if we get caught using a courier service, it's a private courier service to take our medicine from here to a patient. So the patients can't get medicine delivered to their home anymore. We can't 
hand drive it over to one of the hospitals. And we've done that for years. We'll literally drive medicine to CHLA or um, UCLA or, you know, USC, wherever we, wherever these patients need us to bring medicine to, we bring it if they're hospitalized. We can't do that anymore. We can't get the patients to them. So patients who are bed bound in the hospitals, the parents have to leave them there. Um, hopefully with someone else or they have to leave them by themselves just to go to a dispensary to find this medicine and, and then pay these expensive taxation fees as if they need more financial burden. I mean, as a parent for five years who has had to deal with cancer, the only time we've had a break from cancer is for six months after her very first, first dosing protocol. Sophie's been in treatment the entire time since then. And as a parent who has had to endure I mean, I've got thousands of dollars or the medical bills just on my desk right now that I have to get paid. I can tell you firsthand that we don't need any more expenses. We are drowning in debt. We have bills up to our eyeballs. They're not stopping. The bills don't stop. You don't just miraculously, some patients don't just miraculously get well. Some of these kids have conditions like my child that she's going to have to be seen for until she's in her 20s. An autistic kid, whole life. Epilepsy, their whole life. PTSD, once you have it, it's your whole life. Opioid addiction, you're, once you're an addict, you're an addict. Like these things don't go away. And to have to, to try and financially benefit off these people with taxes that are so high, it just really bothers me. It really, really, really bothers me. Yeah, I'm, I'm bothered by it just hearing you talk about it. I, I, can't, uh, I seriously can't imagine what you must be going through and thinking about all of these things and how many other parents are going through exactly the same thing. It's really disturbing. So yeah. I'm going to look into it and, and see about, you know, covering it a little bit more on our site. It's That'd just, be great. Yeah, it's, it is disturbing. I'm sorry to mm -hmm. hear that. And, yeah. you know, I, I've, I've always been a fan of having the medical um, up and running in a state before they go into uh, adult use cannabis. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, it's good to, you know, establish protocols for patients. It's good for getting the research that needs to be done approved. Whereas, you know, once, once it's legal for adult use, it seems that it's more difficult to get permissions or to get funding for the studies that are needed. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, why do you need to do that? It's legal anyway. Just go to the dispensary and buy yourself some medicine. And then it's not that simple. No, it's not. It's not that simple anymore. And it's, it's super frustrating because, you know, to operate now, it, it's the most complex thing I've ever seen in my life. And for companies like ours, you know, I feel like it's really, really, really unfair, especially since we're in the business of helping people. We're not out there. We're not in this to be profiteers. I've never given two craps about money, to be honest with you. My, my house burnt to the ground when I was little, and then we were robbed twice after that. And no telling how many times I've been robbed since then. And I just, I just don't have attachments to financial things. What I have attachments to is trying to help these people and trying to change the world to be a better place to live, a healthier place to live by doing so. And to have these kinds of roadblocks and hurdles constantly just slammed in front of me and, and my team and other brands like ours who really just want to make people feel better. We just want to save lives. We want to alleviate all the use of these heavy pharmaceuticals that are just making patients so, so ill. And just to get a product on the shelf is, I mean, I don't, I can't even tell you how much money that it has cost us since January in, in our operational cost. I mean, it's, we're just, we're hanging on by a thread right now and, and it's terrifying. And, you know, we'll recover. Nobody's going to let can of kids die. People love us. Well, I, I know there's places I can go to help when I need it, but I'm, I'm having to do a round right now, a financial round on the company to bring in um, more cash flow so that we can get ahead of this bottleneck that we're stuck in. We still don't even have our first 2018 products on a shelf. And now the BBC is trying to pull three of them off the shelf, which already passed inspection. So now the ones that we do have approved, it's even an even smaller numbers of SKUs that we have available. Right. We're, 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 we're just going to be filling our first 2018 orders this week since January 1st. So imagine what that would do to your company if 80% of your business went away and you didn't have almost all of it for that matter. And, and you weren't able to make money and you weren't able to grow your team and, and do 
the extended amount of research and have people in here mining the data like we need right now in order to see the see more trends as they're evolving so that we can be more effective, more efficient in how we work with these patients. And it's, it's disheartening. Um, I do hope that it, the market will level out and they'll start, you know, really getting their heads together and, and seeing what they're doing isn't working. Everyone in the industry is really rebelling against um, how this, this infrastructure is set up and how complex it is and, and just how arduous it is and how expensive it is. And I, you know, look, I, I think that the black market is thriving right now, unfortunately, in California. And I am seeing it and hearing it every day that people just, they, they, they can't survive with the type of steps that they've given us to follow. Yeah. And I, I really wonder when it came to writing the law, who, you know, what the knowledge base was. Uh, in, in I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, there, there were there were laws that contradicted themselves. So, I mean, yeah. I will say this: it is a very, very, very complex set of laws, and many factors had to be considered. California is the largest cannabis market in the world, and it's you know there was a lot of things that they had to take into consideration. But some of the things I were read, I was reading even today um, was that the California infrastructure is more complicated than anyone else's infrastructure in the country. And by default, when you have that, that much complexity, you have that much opportunity for failure. The, the more complex something is, the more things that can go wrong. And what they're seeing is that there's a lot going wrong. Wow. Well, you've really educated me here. And I'm definitely going to start looking into this because that is very disturbing to hear that, that you're having to go through all of these pieces of red tape. Yeah. I was so excited when California started its adult use program because I know that with the medical programs, they can be a bit limiting because there, there are a lot of people who could benefit from using cannabis who don't qualify because their medical conditions aren't on any list or they just don't have access. And with legalization, I've always been a fan of legalization because it gives people access that wouldn't have access. So it's interesting to hear that perspective on California and, and, and before when it was just a medical uh, regulation that was there. Obviously, you didn't have to pay as much because the taxes weren't there. But I mean, were there other challenges that you faced the medical law? No, I mean, it was easy. The way we operated last year was not difficult at all. It just wasn't. It was very simplistic. And I really, really, really miss it. Passing these laws were the biggest mistake California ever made, to be honest with you. They had just left things the way that they were. I mean, I, I agree things needed to be more regulated. People need to be forced to do lab testing. And the lab, test, the, the lab testing facilities needed to be held to certain standards. But this mess that they have us in now, I mean, it is just so overcomplicated and no one is regulated. There's not another product in the world that I know of that's regulated like this. I mean, maybe opioids or something, but I mean, it is, it's just, it's mind boggling how something so beneficial and so helpful and can be so life-saving can be so difficult to get into the hands of the people that need it the most. Yeah, absolutely. And that would be children and the elderly, especially. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and often, you know, families and elder people just mm -hmm. don't have the budgets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's sad. I'm sorry to hear that you're going through all of that, but thank you. Um, tell me a little bit about how people can help you uh, with your organization. How can they find you? Well, you can find Canna Kids by going to www.cannakids.org and that's um, patient portal. You can book a call with a nurse right there. We have medical, brilliant medical experts um, that, are, that have worked in the medical community with oncology and uh, worked with autism and epilepsy, and they've worked in Western medicine and all these different types of ailments. So they understand the pharmaceutical side of things, but they're also very educated in dosing protocols for different indications. So if you need help, as a patient, you can go to canakids.org and you can learn about our products and read our press and our news about all the exciting things that we're up to. You can sign up for our HTML email, which is our newsletter that will keep you up to date with anything that we're doing, any conferences that I'm speaking at, any new science that, that we're uncovering, 
um, any new research that we're going into, updates on Sophie. And then the nonprofit side, we have uh, it's www.savingsophie.org, S-O-P-H-I-E. And there is a place where you can donate there. We are very excited about an event we're going to be doing in mid-October that we're going to be announcing very soon where we're going to be raising more funds for preclinical trials and for educational tools for doctors and nurses inside the hospitals because we can't do human trials without these training programs. We have to have these extended medical courses that these, these doctors and nurses can get um, get certified under it before they can even run a human trial. So those are the things that we're doing on the Saving Sophie side. We also uh, raise money and do events for our patients. We always do a toy drive every year for Christmas for their parents so that they don't have to worry about paying for any medicine the whole month of December. And if we raise enough money, they get medicine for January as well. And we give all 100% of the profits from those, from those events um, to the families themselves. And then we even have a Mr. and Mrs. Claus that will deliver toys to some of the families. So that'll be coming up. But really, you know, just go and donate. It's that simple. It's a nonprofit donation. You, you get a tax-deductible receipt for it. And that will help us help these kids so much more and help push the research forward. Okay, that's good to know. Definitely. And um, we'll put that information up so people who are listening can just go to thecannabisreporter.com, click podcast, you'll find today's episode and find all of that information there. So great. Good. So before we close, Tracy, what is the biggest takeaway that you would like for people to know about you or about Sophia or about your organizations or hope for the future? For myself, and the experiences that I've had through my daughter and through working with these other patients, I have seen firsthand the cannabis plant be one of the most powerful medicines I have ever witnessed in my entire 43 years on this planet. It is a brilliant tool for so many. I hope to one day prove that this is something we need to actually be taking every day of our lives to stimulate our immune system and keep us healthier. And I just urge everyone that's out there that isn't as versed in this plant as maybe they should be, do your research, go to savingsophie.org and look at our cannabis studies section and look at all the incredible science that's out there. And once you've immersed yourself in this and you believe in it and you're as passionate about it um, as you need to be in order to use your voice, talk about it. We need to change the conversation. It's changing already, but we need more marching fighters in our army. We cannot do this alone and more People and more children, just like my little girl, Sophie, they need this as a tool and we need to figure out why it's so beneficial, how it's so beneficial so that people don't have to just depend on medicine that's going to make them sicker than they already are. Use your voices, find it in your hearts to support it. And I think that all together we can make the world a healthier place to live. Very well said. And I would add to that, we all have a voice and, and, we have representation in Washington and especially in states where they aren't regulating yet and people have zero access to cannabis outside of the black market, pick up the phone, call your representatives and tell them how you feel about it. And if you have a child who has benefited from the use of cannabis, then pick up the phone and call your representatives and tell them how much it helped. So this is really good information that you've brought to us today, Tracy, and I can't thank you enough. I mean, I've learned a lot and I pride myself on the research that I do just so that I know how to talk <laughs> about this. And you've taught, me, you've taught me quite a bit today that Great. I you know, <laughs> That's so. always the goal. It's always the goal. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much. So I, it's My such, pleasure. Valuable, such valuable information and I wish you the best with your family business and with Sophie. I'm, she is a darling little girl. <laughs> You know, Thank you. It's so heartwarming to know that she's doing <laughs> so well. So congratulations. And, Thank you, know, you. You're welcome. And keep up the amazing work. So, Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you for using your voice to help us get this word out. I truly appreciate it. Oh, well, you're certainly welcome. This is a labor of love. And yeah, like you, I believe that cannabis can change the world and make it a healthier place. So... I thank you. And mm-hmm. um, ah, and once again, it is time for us to bring yet another show to a close. 
I'd like to once again personally <laughs> thank my guest, Tracy Ryan, for sharing her insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work that she's doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode. Like I said, I will post her bio along with information and links to her websites. We have so many others to thank. First, I would like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Alpine Miracle, Health Terra, and Compassionate Certification Centers. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Eric Dahl for our theme song, Evergreen, our engineers and producers, and our partners here at the Cannabis Reporter for always making us shine. And I'd like to thank our program directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening around the nation. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Everybody's calling.